promise you. But first of all, I want to ask everyone who is 50 or under, please stand, will you? That's well over half. Look around the congregation. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, I have a purpose in that. I've been preaching longer than over half this congregation's been alive. Pastoring, actually. We just heard preaching. I, I think I ought to know something about it. I've preached in several states, at least three countries. I've been around preachers. I've attended camp meetings. And uh, Brother Gravely has some of the greatest preachers in our country in this meeting. And how privileged we are to hear it. And I so sure appreciate the message we just heard. And far as I am concerned, if there's any fault with what we just heard, then the fault is the one with the one who finds fault. That is preaching. That is the kind of preaching churches, real churches, are built upon. And so I appreciate the good word of God. And then when um, uh, Brother Brown was reading his text, my mind went back once to when Brother Stenet Ballou used that chapter. Now, I don't remember his text, but he used that chapter. And when he came to verse 4, he said, and Ezra had a whole group of men with him and went on to the next verse. And then when he got down to uh, verse 7, he said, there those fellows are again, and kept reading. So I wondered if Brother Brown was going to pronounce all those names for us. So anyway, that was good preaching. And I appreciate always the spirit in this meeting. The music is just as good as it gets. I appreciate so much the good music and everyone for being here. Now, we had um, Brother Robert Smith. I don't know if you know him or not, but he spent over 30 years in Brazil, uh, probably closer to 40. And uh, he was in a meeting, something like this, and a fellow had gotten up and preached like Brother Brown preached. And he looked out over the congregation, and he said, I feel like a cricket after a thunderstorm. So that's the way I feel this morning. But it's good to be saved. Good to be in the house of the Lord and renew acquaintance with so many of my dear brothers and sisters in Christ that we have known through the years. Now, our text, and I appreciate the pastor so much, he never asked anything, but I really feel he didn't ask for this, but I really feel like my the message God has touched my heart with is more on a Bible conference scale than maybe just down-to-earth preaching like we've heard. But Brother Brown said something that helps me a whole lot here. Amen. 
He said, whatever you are, be. And so I'm going to be what I am, all right? So we'll open our scriptures to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. And as you are turning there, I was looking at this chapter yesterday morning again. I prepared this message uh, since God wanted me to preach, and I just began looking at this whole chapter. Now, our text is going to be taken out of the first seven verses, which to me is the first portion of this chapter, because here Isaiah gives us the character of God's servant in verses 1 down through verse 7, and he deals with his disposition and his deeds, exactly what he was and what he would do when God sent him here. And then the second portion begins at verse 8 and goes through verse 12, here is the call upon all nations. They are to sing and shout forth praises. So we read that in the Old Testament, and of course we read it in the New Testament as well. Because God is relating through the pen of Isaiah who he is and what he has done and how deserving he is of praise. Now, much of the praise of the people here that Isaiah is mentioning and addressing have been giving that praise to false gods. But God is showing himself so much greater than all of the false idols that these people are bowing down before and accepting as God. Then the third portion of the chapter begins at verse 13 and goes through verse 21. And here's the conquest of the true God over the false gods. And here is what the true God does. And all of these are discovered in these verses. Number one, he defeats. And number two, he delivers. And number three, he depicts their condition. And then number four, he declares his righteousness. The last section, of course, begins at verse 22 to the end of the chapter. And here he mentions the chastisement of God's people. And he reminds them of all that God has done. And he reproves them for the way that they are living in the light of all that God is and God has shown unto them. Now, we'll read our text, which consists of the opening four verses. Notice with me, please, how this begins. Behold my servant. So the prophet is saying at the mouth of the Lord, of course, I want you to set your attention here, look and behold my servant. You see, and he goes on to say some things about him. And the servant of the Lord, and there are at least three different ideas of who this servant is. Some refers to it as Isaiah. 
and others even to Cyrus, but we know who Isaiah's talking about here. And the reason we do is because of the connection that he lays here in the following verses of what his servant is like. And in his servant, we see here that three things about him. Number one, it is his Godwardness or toward God. And that is that he is enabled by the Holy Spirit to bring judgment. And we find that in verse 1. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. You see, in John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said, The Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So I'm thinking about the great white throne judgment. Here are the wicked dead standing before Almighty God. And, you know, we hear all kinds of excuses of why we can't go to church and why we can't live the way God wants us to live. And we make all kinds of excuses for the habits that we have or the sins that I have a grasp upon us. But I thought, Pastor, and you know, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, when the Lord Jesus is asked by the Jews, what are these wounds in thine hands? Now, that's going to take place sometime after the rapture of the church and the tribulation period. And when that's when the Lord comes back and appears unto the Jews, and they are mourned for him as one for their only son. When they look upon him whom they have pierced, and they receive him as their Messiah, they're going to say, what are these wounds? And it's not what the modern versions read that I received in the house of my friends but they, Jesus said that he received them in the house of his friends, not in a brawl. That's what the modern versions read. And so they're going to recognize him as their Messiah. Now, that's in the future. What if those wounds are still there? What if they're still there? And the sinner, the wicked dead, stands before God and gives all the excuses or starts to give his excuses why he wouldn't be saved. Maybe somebody pretended to be a Christian, but it worked out that they proved they were not. And all Jesus would have to do is hold that hand up. If that wound is in that hand, that's condemnation. Enough right there. Because Jesus is saying, I died for you. And I shed my blood that you might be saved from the eternal fire, the lake of fire you must go to. So God's word, he is able to bring judgment. And then toward himself, he escapes all desire for prestige. That's one thing I like about your pastor. He preaches in almost every week of his life. And I appreciate that. I pray for him, that God will bless him and help him 
and give him many years upon this earth. But I've never, and we've talked a lot. We, I've preached in every one of these camp meetings as far as I can remember, excepting one when I had the flu. And we've talked some on the phone. He's preached revivals for us. He'd always start off our Thanksgiving Eve service. And I love this man, and I appreciate him. I've never heard one statement out of him where he's boasted of anything that he's done. But I'll tell you what I have heard. Pray for me. Pray for our church that God will give us wisdom and we'll be able to realize the dream. He shared with me some time ago a dream he had. And so I've been praying that the Lord will give you that dream and let it see, see it transpire for God's glory and for the good of this church. Amen. And then, if you'll notice here, where we find that is in verse 2. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. See, he shall not come as contentious. He shall not come as full of strife. He will not come as a boastful individual. He will not come as an angry person, but he'll be mild. He'll be calm and he'll be compassionate. Remember his invitation. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your soul. That's the Jesus I know. And that's the Jesus that saved me. I've heard a lot of people talk about loving Jesus, but they don't love him enough to try to pattern their life after him. Amen. Oh, I got to go. I got to go. This, this thing is bigger than I am. I promise you that. Amen and amen. Now, uh, not only toward God and not only toward himself, but toward mankind. He extended kindness and compassion. That's the Savior that I know. I'm glad he had time. I'm glad he had time. He'd take time. You remember the story when he was coming through Jericho and the blind man called out. The Bible said he stood still. You know where Jesus was headed at this time? He was headed to Calvary. This is the last trip he's going to take through Jericho. But he hears a cry of somebody that needs his assistance and nobody else can help him. And he said, oh, have mercy. Boy, that got him when he said, have mercy on me. And so God came. And heal that blind man. I'm glad God has time. Aren't you? I'm glad he has time for us. Verse 3. A bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment under truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. What a day. Much of this we have seen. 
but we're going to see it all. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be in this meeting and to have heard the great preaching we've heard already. Thank you, Lord, for how it helped me and how, Lord, it corroborated my thoughts and uh, my convictions on what the pulpit is made for. Now, Lord, help us, I pray. We stand in dire need of your touch upon us, and I pray to have it that we may glorify our Savior and edify this listening body. I ask my prayer in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen and amen. I began studying this, and of course you look at other men whom you have a lot of confidence in and read what they've got to say about it, and you're praying, and Lord, help me pick out of this what, is, what you want me to pick out. And Lord, help me to learn from these men who gave their life to the study of the Scriptures, and help me to get something out of here that I can help those that You've put this message upon my heart for. But Pastor, I was so amazed at the approaches there are to this passage of Scripture. Now, I do not really know how many there are, but I know there are at least five. And if I won't bore you, let me relate these to you, how men approach passages of Scripture. Then I won't say something about it when I finish. And one fellow says, here is a picture of all mankind. And he looks at them as stricken and stifled by sin or even perhaps by tyrants or despots or such as the Roman Empire and the communistic controlled countries of our world today. And he's looking at them in that sense. And then there is a second uh, approach to this passage. It's a picture of a broken and a contrite heart. And all of us know what that is, especially if we've been saved. There was a time when we were broken before God. And uh, here our Lord reacts to the slightest chance of repentance and he's talking about this, uh, this bruised reed and this smoking flax. And you see, when we come to this matter of repentance, some, it looks at it in the sense of, well, it really doesn't matter. And then others say, well, if you want to believe in repentance, that's okay with me. I don't have a problem with it, but I really don't believe in it. And then here is a crowd that actually preaches against it. And I've read papers and heard men make statements that preach against repentance. And I, I believe it's right. I believe, I believe you have to repent. It's not something that you can do or not do. I think it's essential. In fact, and this is not my text, but I, in fact, I think a man has to repent before he can even believe. Amen. All right. So he's looking at the Lord as tender-hearted and tender-handed. There's two things that 
get God's attention. Number one is humility. There's something about that. You remember when that publican would not so much as lift up his eyes, but smote himself upon the breast, his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's something about that humility. Remember that woman who came to him and said, Lord, my daughter is uh, grievously sick. And, and um, Jesus said to her, it's not me to take uh, the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And, and, but she said, Lord, the dogs eat of the crumbs. And so she took that low place. And, and, and that's something about humility. And I think because it relates to who our Savior is and what he was when he came to this earth. He humbled himself. Amen. Amen. Now what the scripture said and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But prior to that, it said, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And the expositors tell us that means that he emptied himself, that he became a whole lot less than what he really was. Don't you think that's why he was so against pride? I think he is. In honesty, that gets the attention of our Lord. And so this bruised reed, this smoking flax here before the Lord relates to those things. And then thirdly, it's a picture of our Lord's merciful ministry to distressed and dampened spirits of the saints. That's where I'm getting to, okay? Now, listen to what the previous chapter Isaiah 41, he says in verses 10 through 14, I copied this out, fear thou not. I am with thee. I will strengthen thee. Three times in those verses, he says, I will help thee. I will uphold thee. I will make thee. Then someone says, well, isn't that the Old Testament? Yeah, but do we not have it in the New Testament as well? In John chapter 13, where our Lord begins his private ministry with his disciples, in the opening verse, we read, in having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. That's the Savior I want to identify with. Amen. And he's always the same. Amen. We're not always the same. Isn't that truth? We get aggravated with people. Boy, I'm sure glad God's not like I am. Amen. I, I know we may grieve him from time to time, but I'm glad he's loving and kind and forgiving. Or all of us would be in trouble this morning were he not. Three times he says, I will help thee. Then he said, I will uphold thee. Doesn't that relate here to what we're looking at in our text in, in verse 3? And I will make thee, he said. But then when you come to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 7, it says that Jesus has made a surety for them. 
That surety, if I understand that word correctly, means one who stands in good for the contract. Well, let me tell you something. God made a, God made a contract sometime way back yonder in eternity past. He made a contract, amen, with the Son and with the Holy Ghost. And that contract was the Son is going to come and give his life a ransom for many. And God established a standard, amen, in eternity past. You know this, you've heard it a hundred times. Calvary was no afterthought with God. Hey, may I say this, and I want to preach this sermon bad too. God has never had a plan B. How do you, why do you need a plan B if you know everything that's going to happen anyhow? And so his plan was Calvary. And God made a contract with the Son and with the Holy Ghost that every person who comes by my standard, I'm going to save them. So, the, so my going to heaven, I've been to Calvary, hallelujah. And so my going to heaven is not dependent upon what I've done, but my going to heaven is dependent upon my surety who's standing there for me and for you who are saved by the grace of God. Amen. He's our surety. I'm leaning on Jesus. Amen and amen. Now, boy, I love this verse too. Oh, I love a bunch of them, don't you? Hebrews 13, 5, for he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Amen. He's with us all the way. All the way. I bless his holy name. Amen. Just wonderful to be saved and to know Christ. And then he gives, there's a fourth approach to this passage, a picture of Christ's ministry while he was here on earth. It won't be so when he returns because he covers that here as well in verses 1 and 3 and also in verse 4. However, this does not minimize hope for you and I today. We live in a cold, cruel world that hates God and hates righteousness, hates what you and I stand for. Not only is it cold and cruel, but it's calloused against the things of God. Harden themselves with sin. What a mess they are in. I'm telling you what, we need his ministry. I need it more than I ever needed it. I thought there would come a time, you know, when you've been in it a good long while and that you could just kind of, you know, coast along. Well, I, I need him as much today as I have ever needed him in my life. I, I need that which he can do to hold me up. I need that which he can do to heal my spirit at times. I don't know about you, but sometimes my spirit is not right. And I need to get it right. 
and but I, I know the one to go to who will write it. And I know the one who will never let me down, who will never fail me. I failed him, but he's never failed me. Amen. I become bruised along the way, don't you? People bruise me. They hurt me. Hey, I'm telling you, a preacher does not have the height of a rhinoceros. He's got a height just like yours. And he's got a spirit just like yours and a heart just like yours. And his heart can hurt. I was talking with our pastor over some things about, I guess last week I was in South Carolina and I was just called him to talk to him. And he was discussing some things that, that were going on. And I said, you know what, Pastor? I said, if you could get our church members to pastor a church six weeks, we'd have a, a brand new church. If they knew what that pastor had to go through. And see, it's not just what he's preaching here out from the pulpit when he's looking at people who's uh, playing with their arm or flipping through a songbook or looking to see who just text. That's not a good testimony if somebody tests you in church time. Unless it's some of these telemarketers. Your friends shouldn't be texting you in church. They ought to know where you are. Amen. Lord, help us. He goes through that. He's fighting it. Satan's whispering in his ear. See that person over there? Look at them. See that snarl on their face? Look at that one. They're thumbing through their pocketbook. They're not paying any attention. If people just realize that, they're not listening. They don't care what you've got to say. Why don't you just shut it down and quit? If you ever just wanted to quit right in the middle of a sermon. Lord, help us. But we get, he gets hurt. I get hurt. You get hurt. But you know what I've learned? I have learned that some people are not going to like me no matter what I do. we got a pretty good size foyer in our church, don't we, Pastor? I've run a man all the way across the foyer trying to get him to shake my hand. That hurts. No, we're not anything special, but I'm a brother. Amen. If you're saved, I'm your brother. And all of that hurts. We need his ministry right now. Amen. Now, we get wounded and we get in our light lessons because of the security of the troubles and things that bother us from time to time. Then fifthly, here's a picture. Now, I don't, I don't know, but here's a fifth one. I mean, these, all of these fellows had a lot to say about these. But here's a picture of what Christ will never be. 
He'll never be bruised again. He'll never be smoking again, okay? Neither outward force, a bruised reed, nor inward failure, the smoking flax can obstruct the fulfilling of his purpose. That's where he was going with that. God is going to fulfill his purpose. No matter what he meets along the way, no matter who he meets along the way, no matter what happens to him along the way. Notice further, there are no bruises in, his, in this reed, Christ, and there's no dimness in this light. Another amazing thing about all of these approaches, every one of them have some warrant. All of them mean something. They have texts that support them. I think they really have an actual footing. But in our text, as we're going to look at it, we have two facets of Christ's ministry. Number one is consideration and compassion. Lord, help us. I didn't hear this sermon, but someone told me that Brother Ed Ballou preached. I don't know where he preached it. But anyway, there were a lot of preachers there. And they said, Brother Ballou said, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with us, fellas. We've lost our compassion. God help us. When we feel like maybe because of what somebody has done that's wrong, that we don't want to be affiliated with them. We don't want to speak to them. We don't want to have anything to do with them because, you know, we might taint our reputation. I said this in the meeting last week. I don't know what will come out of it yet. But I said when... And I believe in standards. We had them at our church, not by name. We, we had them. That's all I'm saying. I believe in them. I believe the writer, believe the scripture. But when I love my standards more than I love some poor person that's been taken advantage of in one way or another, I am wrong. And I'm going to answer for that too. Oh, Lord, I've, I've got some stories, but I, I, I don't have time to tell them this morning. Maybe I'll tell them later. But you see, the second facet of our Lord's ministry is conquering and conquest. And all that deals with judgment we find in verse 1 and verse 3 and verse 4. You see, in all of this that we're reading about the humility of Christ, we must not forget his sovereignty. And all that we're reading about here, about his compassion, we must not forget about his being angry at sin. Not the sinner. I met one man, I'm sure I've met more than one, but the man that stands out in my memory of probably a prime example of a man that, hated sin. In fact, he preached at Sammy Allen's meeting. I got the text, and he preached this text, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And here's what he said in that sermon. I remember it well. He said, young ladies come up to me and say, Dr. Crumpton, I wish that you would pray for me. I really feel like I 
want to marry a preacher. I believe that's what God's plan for my life is. I would like to marry a preacher. But said, I can't find a preacher to keep his hands off me. A man that's not a preacher shouldn't do that. I'm just telling you what he said, and he preached on that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He hated sin, but he loved sinners. He preached for us at least twice, two meetings, maybe three, but I know two. And I picked him up one day. Dr. Crumpton's eating habits were two o'clock in the afternoon and after church at that night. That was his eating habits. And I've been, been to the motel to pick him up, and I've literally seen him running after sinners, trying to get them to take a track. I saw it. He loves sinners. He'd just weep and cry because they wouldn't take a track. They wouldn't let him talk to them about the Lord, but he hated sin. That's a hard road to travel. Stand in the middle of the road. That's, that's a hard, hard one to do. But God help me. I want to do that, don't you? Conquering and conquest. Just as Jesus will not break the bruised reed nor quench the smoking flack, he is going to bring forth judgment unto truth. Oh, my. You take Jesus, loved us so much, and will help the fallen, lift them up, encourage the faint, strengthen the weak. He does that to his saints. And he gave himself that sinners might be saved. I, I hate to think to be on the judgment side of Christ. I'm glad I'm on the compassionate side of him I'm glad he's my savior and not my judge Christ shall express his true doctrine and we find it here and we find it in the New Testament and then he's going to establish equity among all it is so hard for mankind to not show favor but with God he doesn't have that problem he treats every one of us a lot loves us and is good to us justness fairness impartiality all, all of these things describe the Lord here in these verses especially the ones that I read of this chapter he will favor the weak and he will judge the wicked Years ago, we were having a prayer meeting on Saturday night at our church. Well, we had one every Saturday night. Men meet and pray. And on a certain Saturday night, I said, we met. And I said, now, Dr. Gibbs is going to be with us tomorrow. And I said, we want to pray that the Lord will help him and strengthen him and that all of us will get something from that that's going to help us in our Christian life. Now, I remember we, we were praying, and of course, I was praying for all of our teachers, and I was praying for missionaries, and I don't remember what all, but anyway, when I, I right before I got up from praying, you know what, it's amazing, I thought everybody was gone. 
You know, we pray different when we just pray and when we pray before people. You, you, you know that's true, don't you? And I remember, Pastor, I was kneeling down. I was praying. I said, oh, God, I sure need something from you. I said, my heart is so wicked and my flesh is so weak. Lord, help me. Have mercy on me and help me. And I got up and turned around. Guess who was sitting right there? Dr. Gibbs. He had heard about us having a prayer meeting and slipped in and was sitting on the second pew. It was just him and Steve Kluth that was with him and myself. I felt like, I don't know what I felt like, turn around looking in the face of that great servant of God and telling the Lord how wicked my heart was and how weak my flesh is. I just turned around. And you know what Brother Gibbs did? He got up out of his pew and walked up there and put his arms around me, held me real close to him and said, I love you. All of us realize what we are and how that we need help and we need encouraging in our life. Strength is going to win out over debility. Light is going to win out over darkness. Judgment is going to win out over defiance. Truth will win out over deception. Hope will win out over discouragement. And victory will win out over defeat. Hallelujah. Amen. We're on the winning side, ladies and gentlemen. No, we're not losers. Somebody told me that a big name in TV said Christians are losers. We're going to see who's winning. I'm on the winning side. Amen. Because I'm on his side. Amen. I praise God. Thank you for listening. I know it's been boring, but thank you for listening. And God bless every one of you. And preacher, I love you.